But dealing with the Harambam Zichot Teshuvah, those studying with us on Shabbat understand how extraordinarily overwhelming the concept of Teshuvah is in that one can have two completely different formulations of what Teshuvah is all about, though you're dealing with two thinkers, Rabbi on Shabbat and the Rambam tonight, who both build their conceptions of Teshuvah out of the same biblical, Talmudic, rabbinic sources. And even though you have two Gedolei Hador, two great, extraordinarily great minds, you have two very different formulations as to what Teshuvah is all about. Hanambam provides us with an all-encompassing view of not only what Hilchot Teshuvah are all about, but also a philosophy and a psychology of Teshuvah. The ten chapters revolving around that one very key pasuk for the Rambam in the book of Bamidbar, Perekeh Pasuk Vav, the Rambam collects all Talmudic slash Midrashic sources and conceptualizes them into a whole as to what we have to know and do in order to achieve Teshuvah. Take note that Harambam, Teshuvah is not the essence, but rather what is the Ikar HaMitzvah Teshuvah? Vidui. Vidui. One has to verbalize that internal principle. The verbalization or the movement from internal psychological Teshuvah to external verbalization is critical for Harambam. Not so Ramban. Verbalization. Versus what? Simply admitting it internally. Yeah, or anything else. Remember, Haramban refused to see that Pasukah Midbar as the critical, essential variable in Teshuvah. For Haramban, it's the Pasukah Devarim, Perek Lamed Aleph, which is what brings about Teshuvah. Whole different world. And these Pasukim indicate a different conception as to what Teshuvah is all about. Haramban, Nachmanides, Teshuvah in that Pasuk is almost a promise that you will do Teshuvah and you'll be a better person. The Ramban is not focusing at all on the past events. Whereas the Ramban is saying that the Ezra Teshuvah is taking that past event of transgression, verbalizing it, changing the personhood. In Haramban, which we hadn't actually seen, but we mentioned it on Shabbat, Ramban wants you, the Rambam wants you to become a different person. Totally different. And that's part and parcel of what Shiva is all about for the Rambam. But again, what that really means is not fully flushed out on Toba Salavechik, who takes Harambam, Maimonides, and builds on it into a actually a really different conception as to what Shiva is all about. And again, the Rav, Rabbi Salavechik's work, Al Shiva, is a classic. It's one that any literate Jew, class two, not class one, but class two, should have read at one point or other in life. It's a critically important work. Not easy to get to necessarily, but brilliant and inspiring. Intellectually energizing, as well as emotionally deep, as well as really Teshuvah inspiring. It will inspire you to do Teshuvah if one reads it cover to cover. Good. Harambam, on the other hand, is, as we mentioned, collecting all those Talmudic statements around that Pasuk. And yet, true to form, Haramban is not simply collecting, rather he is, keyword, selecting. The Rambam will not simply bring and take all Talmudic statements. doesn't do that. Rather, he's only selecting those statements and halachot that fit into his 
concept of what Teshuvah is all about. Now, you may ask me the very difficult question. If Haramban is not taking them all from Talmud Celeste Midrash, then, what's the question? No, where is he getting it from? We build Jewish ideas, traditionally, on biblical, and not so much biblical, but on Talmudic Midrashic elaborations of whatever we're talking about. So where is that gap now? Where else is there? If he is not taking them all, that means he's using some kind of principle of selection. What is that principle of selection? Exactly, very good. His intellectual understanding of what Teshuvah should be is what's guiding him along to select. So it's not purely a rabbinic conception built on Talmudic Midrashic sources as, for example, if one were to study, which is worthwhile studying, which you won't do, Sha'aret Teshuvah Rabbeinu Yonah, which is, of course, an interesting history because Rabbeinu Yonah was originally against Harambam, part of the anti-Maimonists of the 13th century, part of those who ultimately caused the Rambam's books to be burnt because of the Rambam's philosophy and because of his intellectualization of the mitzvot, his ta'amea mitzvot, his interpretations, and his denial of Chetemetim, quote-unquote, which we'll come back to in a few moments over here, because of all of that, the Benunah was against the Rambam, and then realized, a lot because of the Ramban's formulation, that he was wrong, and therefore, has to do Teshuvah, he goes to the Rambam's grave, and, I don't know if this is um, apocryphal or not, and asks for forgiveness from the Rambam, because what do you do if you wrong somebody and they pass away? What do you do? You have to go to the grave. The Rambam quotes that, with ten people, and asks forgiveness. And he ultimately writes, going to the grave, symbolic gesture. That's as close as you're going to get to the person at this point. Okay. Symbolic per- gesture. So you're not getting any close to, uh, to the person. Right. Correct. He didn't have cable in those days. <laughs> Rabbi it's, a it's a ritual. It's a ritual. It'll move him. It'll move the person. It'll move the person. You're, you're closest. So, so not to worry about that issue right now. My point is that Rabbeinu Yonah ended up writing a, uh, the book Shai Teshuvah on this topic. But it's a pure Talmudic slash Midrashic work. But why is it so surprising that he would be the Rambam in this case? It's an extraordinary point. Because it's creating. It's creating a new concept. But if you look at the Talmud, it's written based on the 13, the principles of learning and the Torah and what they heard from their rabbis, not their own... Well, that's a popular conception, but it might be mistaken. That point might be mistaken. Meaning, of course, they debated the Greek philosophers on a repeated basis. No, no, I'm not talking about quality philosophy. I'm talking about their authority and their sources. Authority, sources, yes, but it's a super. It's a very critically important. But I'd say yes. Okay. They're the ones who define principles of learning. So you're right formally, but they want to create the system. Yeah, yeah, you're saying the system is pre-existing. Oh. It was self-serving, exactly. I could prove the point by the Gemara Menachot, Daf, Kaf, Amud Bet, only because you raised this point, I only mentioned it for a moment, where Moshe Rabbeinu is in Har Sinai. You should know the Gemara, Literate Jews, Class 2. You should know the Gemara. Moshe Rabbeinu goes to Har Sinai, and he sees the Kosh Baruch Hu writing the crowns on top of the seven letters of Torah itself, that's what are these for? Hashem tells him that, and it's amazing because this is the rabbinic formulation. Where did they get this idea from? Do you think this really happened? Is an interesting question. Or is it a rabbinic formulation of what they thought may have happened? 
or didn't happen. Interesting that, it's interesting that, what's that, it's interesting that, where does this idea come from? Where does it come from? Either they had it from Moshe Rabbeinu himself, but he writes no hint of it in the Torah itself. He, I would have wanted him to write something in the 500 years or 1,000 years between when it happened and when they wrote it down that I see some hint of that. It's not. So that's an interesting question to put on the side for a second. He asked, okay, what are you doing? I'm writing Kitarim, I'm writing crowns. What are you writing crowns for? There's going to be somebody who's going to come along and he's going to doresh them. Let me see him, Rabbi Akiva. Hashem transports, he beamed him, Scotty, right, to Rabbi Akiva's Bet Midrash. He's in the back, or should have been in the back of the Bet Midrash. And he doesn't say what's going on. He's very upset. He's very upset. I don't know what's going on. And what allowed him to rest? At the end, when Rabbi Akiva is after the give and take of everything else, says, this is Halakha Moshe Misinai. Meaning, all this was built on Halakha Moshe Misinai, but it's a whole new formulation. Similar to the other source along the rabbis who were in this direction, Pekedi Be'ezer, very famous rabbinic work of the 7th century, of the famous Midrash, you should know this already, because I think I mentioned it before, of a king coming into a town, gives the first man on the block flax, wheat and wood. I'm coming back in six months. I want this flax, wheat and wood returned to me. If not, you'll pay with your life. He goes one block further, goes to the last man in town. I'm giving you flax, wheat and wood and I want it back six months from now. We pay with your life. Comes back six months later and he goes to the first person and he says, I demand now that you return to me my flax, my wheat and my wood. The man is very wise, and therefore, what does he do? He goes out from the storeroom, and he brings out the flax, the wheat, and the wood. The king is very happy, and he goes to the last man in town. He says, I want my flax, wheat, and wood. He says to the king, Bread? I have it for you. And? And he brings out something in a completely different form that contains all three items. What he really does is, he says, Here's this table. Here's my flax. I weaved a tablecloth for you out of the flax you gave me. The wood I made a table, I, out of the wood I, I made bread, shev echol. And the rabbinic opinion is that that's what Hashem really wants of us. Hashem wants of us to develop those original source material, not something that's different from what Hashem wants, but rather into a workable system of life, of Torah Chaim for us. That's what Hidush is all about. Hidush means something innovative, creative. On the other hand, of course, it's definitely true. Another school of rabbinic literature, which will say exactly what Harold is saying, namely that Mashamar, what a student is going to say, forever was already revealed to Moshe at Sinai. Which means you have one school of thought that is retrogressive, saying everything was there, and one school of thought, Rabbi Akiva's school of thought, and Rabbi Akiva was an, an extraordinarily interesting personality who says it's all what I am creating. Of course, based on Torah Moshe, what I am creating. But Soloveitchik, who is a Maimonidean through and through, would tell you in his work, Ishalacha, how extraordinarily important Koach HaChidush is. To say something new. To simply learn over and read a Pesuk and is not really learning. He doesn't have it creatively analyzed. And why is he saying that? Because to read words and explain them is almost trite, silly, and, and trivial. However, to create a new idea... You've advanced the cause of what Torah is all about one step further. Creating new. You've assimilated. You've adopted it. Your creation, it becomes you. As God creates, and that's the essence of God, your job in this world is to create other Tzalemidokims, other children, other human beings, but also intellectually and take the Torah 
further. So that would be Rabbi Salvechik's view of this, and as well, one can argue very clearly, very easily, the Rambam's view of this, based on those earlier sources of that one school, Talmudically, that is going to say, God wants you to go ahead with this program, not simply to remain with what they've all had. But again, the other school is equally there, and what's, of course, amazing is that this very day, you're going to have these same two schools fighting. You're going to have the so-called right wing, which is all retrogressive, and the so-called Yeshiva University wing, based on Rabbi Soloveitchik, who says that, what am I here for? But to create new. Not simply to tell you what my teacher told me. Rabbi Soloveitchik didn't simply just tell you what his father and grandfather Rav Chaim told. Rav Chaim Soloveitchik's grandfather is famous, or infamous, depending upon what school of thought you're from, for doing what? Creating a whole new system of analyzing Talmud. It's an amazing phenomenon creating new conceptual categories as to what Torah is all about. One of the most famous of these, this, what's known as the brisk derech, and so captivating, so incisive, so brilliant, that even those who are against this whole school of thought grudgingly acknowledges it as extraordinary and we cannot move without it. One of the challenges of the right wing really is that what do we do with Rabbi Salvechik? We cannot move without his learning. On the one hand, on the other hand, his philosophy He's modern. He's modern orthodox. We can't deal with him either. And they have to do with sort of placing him in a category where I take and I leave, which is exactly what happened to the Rambam. There were those who would take from the Rambam. How do you do with that, the Rambam? Hey, what do we do with this morning? Leave it on the shelf. Don't burn the bed of Midrash. We'll do Sefer Amadah, this book of knowledge, which is all philosophy. You can't study that part. So they had the same problem. With certain types of minds that are so stimulated and exercised by Torah Moshe, that they are so creative, the Rambam, so the retrogressive school must adopt selectively. And the other one just simply says, this, we, we believe in this. So why use essence is creation. New. Ruskin has this extraordinary booklet that I've given to some of you, where it talks about the right, based on all sources, for you to read a pasuk and create. To create all understandings and ideas and thoughts about Torah thought, thinking quotes 20, 25 sources, which is what he does. The Gomez Vilna and others and others and others who say this job of his to do what? Create a new idea, a new thought. Not to tell you what everybody else said, but creation. And again, it's typical in the Salvation mode of thought Why to create. Why do you it's not compatible with the, the two positions are not compatible? Why can't you say that people are creating new ways to find out what was done in Sinai? What was said in Sinai? Why is that something antagonistic to each other? And why do you use an inflammatory word retrogressive when it could be the same exact course, they're taking the same path. Just that people have, maybe they get stuck in the mud, the right wings, you're right. But at the same time, not, it doesn't have to be opposing to finding new ways to get what was said in Sinai. I think the answer to the question is, how did Chazal perceive themselves? Those who said that we're going back to Har Sinai, and it's all Halachal Moshem Sinai, right? Set themselves opposed to that other school of Rabbi Akiva. The Bekva is not saying the same, same thing as they said. Others would be in the same ballpark. Yeah. Yeah, which are two different games. They might, not, they might not like the way Akiva is approached to find out what was in Sinai, which is sounds to them revolutionary or out of the mold. Doesn't mean they're not going for the same road. Though you said their position is that they're saying it's not the same road. Well, they're arguing it out. Okay. So they're trying to clarify this, so they're arguing it out. No, actually, I don't see how they go for the same road. They, no, they are. Well, this all started with your question. Yeah, right. Well, well, your question. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember his question, to tell you the well, truth. No, no, yeah, it was a good, good question, and I thought I had an answer to it. That Rambam's method of, uh, is not out of the mode. It's just using phil
But he's creating. He's creating. He's going beyond. But he's also, the Talmud might have been more disciplined or more within okay. the, actual, the learning principles of learning. While Maimonides took it a step further or a step, ten steps further. Ten steps, right. steps Good, good, good. But for the same path, to get to the what was seventy nine. I would not disagree with the same, it's the same path to get to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right. which was Sinai. Right. But the Rambam was still, and this again comes from Rabbi Soloveitchik, right. but I would also say that, okay, again. He's creating. Maimonides' view, what he did at that time was indeed unique. Yes. But we take for like, granted. 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 I mean, yeah, of course, it's the right And he would tell you I'm unique. He tells you, he was one of those who shot down. Because he told you, when you have my book, you don't need any other books. I am creating for you an entire philosophy of Judaism, which is unprecedented. He knew, and he tells everybody, what I am doing is unprecedented. I am creating a new, a whole story. He didn't have the humility of the past rabbis, which might have been a problem in his PR. I don't know if it's a question of humility. Humility does not mean that you kowtow to the back... It means you respect them greatly. You can challenge them if you think they're wrong. The Ram goes against the Gionim all the time. So does the Ram Ban. It means the arrogance, the haughtiness of his... It's not... Those are bad words. Okay. No, I don't say there's arrogance and haughtiness. No, no, no. He's presented in a way that he said, my book is the only book you're ever going to need, and that's it. That sounds arrogant and haughty. But it's not at all. who are from the traditional... Oh, correct. Which is why he was shot down for that. But he was saying... Correct. He's saying, no. He's saying... Even if you wanted to analyze Moshe Rabbeinu as the most exemplar of humility, okay. people all point out, doesn't mean that he was Shafel Ruach, he walked around, he was... He was right. Exactly. It would be business if he didn't show Exactly. Humility means understanding, knowing... Yeah, well, and also knowing your place in the overall divine scheme. Knowing that as a leader you're powerful, as an Ayyad Hashem you're nothing, mm-hmm. and being able as Abraham Avinu to say, I am an Arachia Farba Efer, I'm dead, I'm nothing. On the other hand, I'm going to challenge you to do Ma'amorah, which is an amazing stream. Why does Abraham say, Hashem, one second, you're supposed to do justice over here, Hashem, what's the Mishpat? Why are you not doing justice? That seems to be an arrogant statement. He's talking to Abraham, no, but I'm dead. So he didn't use that with that Kedah. Because that's also knowing, knowing your, when it's right to challenge, when it's not right to challenge. Humility is self awareness. Of who you really are in that situation is what I wanted to say. If, if you want to read my paper on this, I have a whole paper on on, on humility. I appreciate that thought. On humility, I had a. Why do I write this paper? I took a course, and we. I took a. Some of us do. I took a course, and we had to with on the Muslim movement, which is all about Musar, right? Musar, and you had to take one mida, one of the characteristics of Rabbi Salanter who founded the Muslim movement. One is truth. One is uh, humility, etc. Gaava, etc. You're going to appreciate this next statement. And you have to either take, keep a diary of it so to change yourself or to write a philosophical analysis of it. So I started writing a diary on humility. What was my problem? My problem was, this is a little embarrassing, so you'll... Now at the crossroads, the Rambam is saying, of the human history, and they need what I have to produce. And the extraordinary event is that this self-awareness is fairly unique to the Rambam, fairly unique to the Rambam, as well as he was right. For the next thousand years, 
There is no book written in rabbinic literature, in all any angle of literature, that does not make reference to the Rambam, whether in Midrash or, or in Pashanut or in philosophy or in Halakha. You talk to the Rambam. He's always in every class that you're given in any area of rabbinic literature. It's the Rambam. And when the Rambam says something, you take it respectfully because the Rambam said it. He's held in such awe. To such a great degree of awe, what is had with the Rambam is astounding that he was recreated 100 years after he died in the eyes of almost everybody according to their own fascism. Meaning, the Mekubalim said he was a Mekubal. And there's a forge, or there's a letter, I should say a letter, that came up in the middle of the 1300s by Ibn Shushan and by a number of other rabbinic personalities. It says the Rambam said that if I knew what you... An old man came to the Rambam, an old sage came to the Rambam. I'm sorry? Yeah, and his life. He said, I would have changed everything if, you, if I knew about what you were going to tell me now. Your words are splendor, meaning Zohar, meaning Kabbalah. And Gershom Shalom has a very important article on this, on the Rambam's so-called conversion to Kabbalah. Based on the Magdal Oz and Perek Bet, and what exactly does it? Extraordinary information. But then the rationalists come along and say, no, the Rambam is about us. And in every generation, the Rambam is such a great thing that everybody wants him on their side. Because he's the Rambam. So everybody's going to recreate the Rambam in, their own in the same way which I saw with my own eyes, and I'm to Rabbi Soloveitchik. After he passed away, his own Talmudim, those from the right, those from the middle, those from the left, recreate him in their image. Who was really, really Rabbi Soloveitchik? Well, the only person that really knows is... Thank you. Right. Not exactly. But very few far between. Those Rav Shachter was a great Talmud of his. Did he know, did he know, did he know the Rabbi Soloveitchik? I would say no to that. Why not? No. Why no? Because he was not a philosopher. He was not a philosopher, so why would he understand Rabbi Salavachik? Proof positive. I had him for two years as a Rebbe. He's really got on my door. He's fantastic. So he's about 65 years old, shots, the whole thing. Two years as a Rebbe. <coughs> I am having my inclinations towards philosophy. It's the Rambam. I said to my first year, I want to read a book of philosophy. Well, I'm going to give it. I want to do some book of philosophy. What should I do? Should I do Morena Bukhim? Should I do What should I do? So I do Musilai Sharim. Okay, I hear that. I read it once or twice. I read Musilai Sharim. Right? It's a Musar book. Fine. Hermetia is a Rebbe. So the second day I came in September, October, I want to do some other book, you know, outside Shi'ud, what should I do? He says, do I said, do that last, do it again. So, what about philosophy? What about Murei Vukhim? What about things of intellectual types of things? He says, you don't want to do that. I said, your Rebbe wouldn't say that. I was all of a sophomore in college at that time. I was 18, 19 years old. So your Rebbe said that. He said he had his own Mishagas. He said his own Mishagas. Quote, unquote. <laughs> I was jarred. Rabbi Shechter, different mind, pure halachist, is not interested in and not right, he's not right wing in that sense at all. I call him for my shit to this very day. Questions that I, that I have. But not right, and very bright, very aware, has an MA in Jewish history. I mean, he knows his stuff. You know? And very well regarded. But he didn't have an inclination towards philosophy as I did. Already as a sophomore in Flatbush, I would walk through the library well, with Mr. Birnbaum, who was a librarian at that point. I want to read Hegel. I want to read Spinoza. I want to read these books of philosophy. I know what it was, but I, want, I had an inclination. I want to see the ultimate questions of life. I asked Rabbi Grisman once, I want to understand death, and I want to understand what happens after death. So he says, okay, read Mamachachatim Etim, check out the book for me, we see what you get through. I just had to need to understand that. Not that I understood it, but I wanted to know the ultimate issues of life and death. Some, as a 15-year-old or 14-year-old, it's an inclination, it's a, it's a mind, it's a, whatever it may be, it's your brain just works in certain ways. Inclination towards this or towards that. That's the way it is. So, <clears throat> just I would understand that. So on the other hand, let's take... His Talmud, we understand who Rabbi Sashi is Talmudically. That's brilliant. But many Talmudic students. 
philosophy few. Rabbi, I asked his grandson-in-law, Rabbi Soloveitchik's grandson-in-law, who does the family think understood the Rabbi Soloveitchik best? They told me, Rabbi Wurzburger. Why? Wurzburger is a Talmudist, Semicha, Rabbi, also a PhD from Harvard in philosophy, also of the same kind of personality as Rabbi Soloveitchik. His, lack of a better term, existentialism, which Rabbi Soloveitchik was all about. His emphasis on the individual, on the meaning of life, on halacha as a meaningful way of life. That's the routine wrote. All of that of Rabbi Soloveitchik was Rabbi Wurzburger. But I had a question on that. Rabbi Wurzburger has no understanding, no sense of parshanut, which means taking a text, seeing it, reading it carefully, understanding it, and developing. One of the most extraordinary lessons that Rabbi Soloveitchik had given, which I had shared with you on one or two occasions, was Pashanut, which is underappreciated in the general Jewish world because they're not interested in Pasukim and analyzing the way he did. He would say things about a Pasuk that made your hair, your hair stand up. Things that, if he didn't say them, you wouldn't be able to say, where did he get it from? Careful reading and building on a Pasuk. You've heard it. Those of you who were in the Tuesday night class a year ago. Was it not extraordinary? Wasn't it that nobody would ever say in their wallets? You don't remember it that well, I know. But you heard the tape, right? Okay, asking seven questions. He created a whole superstructure on Pasha which answers all these questions. It's a certain theory of truth. You have five questions. You bring a little framework, and if the questions are answered by the framework, the framework is the correct framework. Right? This, is, this theory of truth is true in um, many areas. If you're a businessman, and you, you have a goal, and you have five obstacles, you have, you have a business plan in order to achieve your goal, overcoming or undercutting or going around the obstacles. And if that works out, then it was a good plan, right? It was a good framework that you built. Obviously, that's your true perspective. Another example. Sherlock Holmes has a mystery. The mystery has ten facts. His goal, his goal is to what? To solve the mystery. What does he do? He creates a framework of what happened and he's to solve all of these facts. If at the end of the day, one little fact, which is, the man had a size eight foot that I know from his footprint, and yet, on the other hand, the man who I think is the guilty murderer has a size six shoe. It's the wrong framework. Get rid of it. So I get an all-new framework for somebody else. And when all the facts fit into my framework, the framework is true. So let's get five questions on the penasha. Didn't make any sense. We all saw the questions are very good questions. And what does he do at the end? Creates a superstructure where these five questions were extraordinarily enough answered. You say, wow, it works. He created it. It's His pashanut is an underappreciated aspect of his learning, which is very sad. So you need somebody who understands Pashanut, that deals with text, has textual sensitivity, that understands what it means to create, literally, a shi'ur on Pirashah, barely, if ever, using a mefaresh. We all, Rashid, Ambani, and there are those who are creative, putting these together, challenge each other. Shvetik very rarely did that. Mostly, and I have notes galore on his Pirashah classes, Extraordinary information, energizing, exciting, stimulating, emotionally uplifting. You have people enraptured, literally, for two, three and a half hours on a Saturday night. That's, that was a Saturday event in Boston. He had 100 to 200 to 300 people who came on Saturday night in a small Jewish community to hear a shiurir perasha. Extraordinary. And it was just overwhelming, just the ins- insight that he had to the perasha. Moshe, Abraham, or not Rashi, Ebenezer, you know, which is what I might do, just creating, reading, carefully, well, great biblical methodology, and what we sort of like do. Although we do it in a scholarly fashion, he did it 
intuitively, insightfully. And again, there are many tapes that will show you that, his, that aspect of it. So it's only he who understands all the Asker of Salavachik would understand actually who he is. His Talmudic, which is brilliant, his philosophy, which is Rabbi Wurzberger, his Pashanut, his other dimensions also. It's extraordinary personality. So he's so extraordinary that even those who want to reject him can't reject him. So what do they do? They adopt him and they change him. His own students did that. Those who will say, he really wasn't concerned about philosophy. Eh, it was a pastime. He did it in the bathroom. Quote, unquote. Like the Gomez Vilna did his mathematics in the bathroom. That's stupid. Why is it stupid? Because those who sat in his shiurim, those who went to his classes, know that he didn't spend four or five hours talking about Hegel Kant because it was only a pastime. It wasn't Torah, but really it was Torah. Rosavechik's great insight was, what you did was, you selected from those thinkers that which is true and that fits into the framework of Torah and then you build the philosophy based on those statements. So he was able to do that, to select. That which is not in a Torah framework is rejected because it's not true. But whatever Hegel, Kant, or Kierkegaard said, whatever area it was that was within the Torah possibility framework, you accept it because it's Torah, it's true, it's from Hashem. Hochmar Bagoin, Ta'amen. Pashut. Torah Bagoin, Ta'amen. So now, all of that because of Mark's question. So the Rambam did, in fact, not only select, but he also created a whole new concept of Teshuvah based on a careful selection as well as innovation, which we'll see as we go along. Now, on the one hand, the Ram does not quote the famous Gemara, which he spoke about on Shabbat, which is that if you do Teshuvah, what happens? If you do Teshuvah from fear, then all of your transgressions become accidents. We know what that means, right? We did that, right? On the other hand, he does not quote either other statement that if you do Teshuvah from love, what happens to all your becomes a Sechayot? Amazing. He doesn't quote that. Why not? Makes no sense to him. So we understand that. He does quote the Gemara Berachol, which says, place where stand, a surprising statement that I'm quotes. Why is it surprising? Because again, how do you figure that a Baal Shabbat stands higher than a Sadiq Amur? We're not happy with that. Now also, let's just very quickly but take note. But you method and that type of thing you said. One part didn't fit, so you have to create a new framework. Which he does. Ram didn't do. Correct. Exactly. It was an interesting point. And the two, those same, and Rabbi Sveshik was a Maimonidean. He never moved up the Rambam. Nevertheless, he was a very different kind of a thinker. Okay. One has to make these subtle distinctions. And Rabbi Sveshik wrote a whole essay that we dealt with on Shabbat on how to understand that Gimaran Yoma, which is, revolves around the notion of time, memory, anticipation of future events, and what it means to be a human being, and it sent the Gimaran along that psychological framework. So that was not, it's not my mind Adian. Okay. It's Salavet Shikian. We noted also the Ramam's placing of the Chotashuvah in Sefer Hamada. Why did he do so? This very first book of the Rambam is critically important to being a Jew. All the 13 principles of Judaism are contained over here. He had to include in this first book what it means to be a Jew, philosophically, and every which other way. So therefore, we see that the Rambam's placing of the Chotashuvah is very strategic, where he puts it. As well, we'll take note that no other code of Jewish law has a section entitled Hilchot Teshuvah. Why not? Why is there a section in, in Rishav Kairos, Shuhanuch, Hilchot Teshuvah? It's an interesting question. Why not put it there? Does he not think it's a mitzvah? Is that possible? Ram said it's a mitzvah. Ramban said it's a mitzvah. Did that consider it to be a mitzvah? Or was he not concerned about that issue? We know he's only concerned about things that are irrelevant. So Korbanu doesn't have in his code of Jewish law, correct? 
But this is relevant. This is Teshuvah. This is very relevant. <coughs> Why is it not there? Maybe he chooses to suit on another category. I'm going to say, Yom Kippurim. I didn't check. I don't know. But if he does, that's also a statement as to what he thinks about Teshuvah. That only relevant to this, now to more, more broadly. Ram sees it as an Ikar Hadat, an essential principle of Jewish law and life, law, L-O-R-E, and life, that Teshuvah is a fundamental aspect of one's life. As we said, say the same thing. Both will say the same thing. Shuvah is fundamental. Clear. Interesting is that the Midrash tells us, I think I mentioned to you last week, that there are seven pills upon which the world was created, or better, there are seven thoughts that I guess we to think before creating the world. The Avot, Mashiach, Sechad Ba'onesh, and Teshuvah, and the Avot. Two others, Kiseh HaMelucha, Kiseh HaShem. Seven ideas they had to create beforehand. Teshuvah is one of them. Because the world cannot exist without Teshuvah. The ability for a human being to, keyword, recreate himself. If you're above Shuvah, you can recreate yourself in a completely different mode and fashion. Now, of course, the Rambam defines the steps of Shuvah. We spoke about that. The Rambam talks about those categories of sins that Yom Kippur, with or without Shuvah, he rejects that Talmudic statement. Exactly. Just that it says only Yom Kippur with the Shiva will atone for. And then he tells us but there are certain categories of sins, such as that which is Hayat Karet, or Mitabetin, that Teshuva, Yom Kippur, Teshuva, and Yisurim. Interestingly enough, according to Gemara, the Yisurim are necessary to achieve ultimate atonement. Now that might be self-inflicted Yisurim, self-inflicted, I guess, Yisurim where your agony of having been a hoteh, klapea boreh, in front of Hashem, might be affliction. Okay. And, of course, what I'm telling us, that is also a category of tra- transgression, one second, that only teshuvah, Yom Kippur, Yisurim, and kapara only comes with death, which is what? Shilu Hashem. If you desecrated God's name publicly, then only death can actually atone for that. And that's understandable. Because if you desecrated God's name, you've pushed the entire program of what Hashem wants in the world, which is Kedush Hashem, backwards. And it's an amazingly insightful point. How careful one has to be not to desecrate God's name. If you're a rabbi, it's an awesome responsibility. Because people look at you and they say, look, this is a rabbi. But if you're a Jew who wears a yarmulke, or you're a Jew whose name is uh, Cohen, or Finkelstein, or Goldstein, or whatever else it may be, you'll know you are. And if you're not honest in business, God forbid, or... <clears throat> the case may be, it's very frightening. So this concept of self-inflicting Yisurim... I'm just raising as a possibility. intellectual exercise and his discipline, the way he arrives... Perhaps. And he would be satisfied with reading something like that? Or Joey Bannon would be satisfied in reading something like that? Are you having read and us not having read okay, What do you mean by satisfied? In his mode of intellectually uh, arriving at, at insights into things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this fit that mode? Well, we'd have it's to ask the question. From my point of view. We'd have to ask the question: Where's it from? Did Rambam create that, or he's quoting the Talmudic okay, statement? So I was assuming he created. No, it. no, no. That's from the Talmud. Okay. So there, and the Rambam. And, and he chose to use the Talmud at that point. Yes. So we have to raise that question. You're right that one has to raise these kinds of questions over every statement the Rambam makes, and say you don't have to include this. Why are you including it? Is it for pedagogic reasons? For example, I don't want to dwell on this. In an earlier chapter, three. He tells you the statement. Every single person of people has Zuchayot Na'avonot. Okay. 
He who is a chiyot are extra over his avonot is a sadiq, and he who is avonot avonot are extra over his chiyot is a rasha. Right? That makes perfect sense. If you're a chiyot or more, it doesn't mean you did more. It means quality. It would be like you, a mediocre basketball player, or a mediocre. I don't think it was mediocre, but okay. <laughs> I, I meant to dramatize. You did a good job of that. In other words, if very little over one, you're a mediocre. Right. If you're just a little over your right. Over Which your doesn't make right. I have a question oh, on this. Yes. If you're mechsa and mechsa, you're benoni. How can a person be even even? Who could possibly think of themselves as, as benoni? Yeah. Who? Doesn't make sense. So now it's not also. Uh, let's assume that saying numerical over here. It's not a number question, right? So you have well, two hundred. It's qualitative. Okay, good. So that was it. So it's qualitative. It's only a qualitative. It's also a measure. Yeah, so it's a very difficult issue. And then he tells us later on, and a city, a city, a state, and a country, the same thing, and the whole world also, right? Okay. Should all see themselves, should all, you have a lot, you're a righteous country. You have a little, so Russia was obviously an evil country, America is obviously a righteous country, right? Okay. A man whose transgressions are more than his merits, dies immediately and is evil. What does that mean? How could that be? Well, we have to explain it. And the Ra'avad over here on this issue, of course, makes it, goes ballistics, makes it impossible. How could that be? We have many evil people that live nice, nice lives. And the other side of that coin, and he gives four Pesukim the Rambam, now, of course, another one gives Pesukim. You ask, raise the question, why is he giving Pesukim? He's got to prove a difficult point. It's four Pesukim over here. Four or five, maybe. Yirmiyahu, Bereshit, Bereshit, Bilachim, all that. Kohelet. You have six proof texts, which means he's tottering. And then he gives, the righteous person, of course, is never, that doesn't happen to him. So now, what does he mean by that? Is it psychological? He follows us up with a psychological point about Tekiyat Shofar. So this is a psychological point that he, or pedagogical. He wants you to see yourself as middle and the next deed that you do you're going to be on the right side of that scale. He wants the world to see itself as mechsa or mechsa and the right deed, the next right deed that you do is going to do what? Now, I mean, change, change the, uh, the whole world to zechoyot. So your next righteous deed is going to save the world. It's an extraordinary point that may not be philosophically correct but it's empowering to an individual to do a mitzvah. Yeah, it's a method of... Uh, Inculcating the value. Yeah, but you never believe it. You're, uh, but he gave 20 sources for it. The question is, who is you that went over If you have six pesukim, and you let's say you're eight years old or ten years old, imagine like a ten-year-old kid this. The next mitzvah you do is going to change the whole world. In a spiritual sense, that's a very meaningful thing. And he grows up with a certain mindset that my acts count, that my deeds count. And if bottom of nine, you, he thinks that if I do an avon, it's going to change the whole world the other way. Like then should he, I vote or not? It's what? Should I vote? Yeah, exactly. It's exactly the same concept. Your vote could change the election. Or your mitzvah could change the world's destiny. And is that not what I really want you to be aware? That your actions are critical, significant, and take responsibility for them. So you did a, if you did a sin, you could change the spiritual categories that God judge, judges the world by. Now, does Rama believe this literally or is it pedagogic, psychological? One can like raise it. Sounds like and motivational. A kahal type of a rabbi would do something like that. Oh? A kahal rabbi Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, whatever it may be. So one has to raise your question on all the Rama statements and see how his needs, his needs over here 
are not purely philosophical. What are the Mukhim? He would suffer if that was purely philosophical. He couldn't, he couldn't hold weight. Agre- so he had to go for rabbinical sources. Okay, good, exactly. So what the Ramas need interest over here is not purely halachic, it's not purely philosophical, it's psychological and pedagogical as well. And we can prove that through other places in the Rambam, we will zap in a statement. Precisely when you're saying, hey, one second, he'll zap you with a statement in order to get you on the right track. Because concern is, as any rabbi, bottom line is, he wants his people following the right pathway. With all philosophy and all everything else going on, as a rabbi, if you're a linear kahal, and you're not an academician, academician, you're interested in truth. As a rabbi, taken in the context of his time. as well, as well. So all this is part of Passover. Now let's go to the next section. We began already studying the 8th chapter. The 7th chapter deals with the critical variable of Bechilach of Shit, understanding that <coughs> this concept of Shuvah revolves, of course, around the concept of Bechilach of Shit, meaning that you have freedom of choice to transgress. You did, obviously. Now you have freedom of choice to do Teshuvah. With the same equal choice you had to do, do, do transgressions, you can now do Teshuvah. So, therefore... <coughs> the Rambam wants to emphasize in the 7th chapter how important Teshuvah Bechach of is, and then the Rambam will have to do what? Once he quotes that notion. He then has to explain all those Pesukim that seem to question Bechach of Most famous is Par'ol, but you have 10 other ones as well, and he tries to explain that Pasuk by Hazek Hashem Par'ol has Rambam understand it. And there are multiple examples as to what that means. Those who interested in parashanut, biblical interpretation, could have a field day with this concept. It raises all kinds of problems. How could it be? But Hashem, Hashem, where's the Shuvah? goes against the grain of everything we think of Jewishly. So, this is something interesting where you'd find at least between five and ten answers, all parashanim struggle. And those who don't struggle is also a question. Why are they struggling with this, Rashi? Whoever does not. Whoever does not. Why is it not going at your grain? Hashem made him sin. Why is he paying a price? None of us think that's healthy or happy with that. So that's another issue. Now let's go to the seventh, to the eighth chapter, which talks about sechad ba'onish. Question: What does that have to do with teshuvah? I think it's very closely related. It's everything to do with teshuvah. Because if you do teshuvah, the Rambam again is motivating you to do teshuvah. What is he saying? He's talking about the ultimate reward and the ultimate punishment. The commentaries of the Rambam, specifically the Ra'avad, is going to have a field day with this chapter of the Rambam, for reasons you will see in a few minutes. So, number one, of course, the Rambam is going to speak now over here about the ultimate consequences of doing Teshuvah and of not doing Teshuvah. Here the Rambam focuses on the ultimate reward and the ultimate punishment. What is the ultimate reward? Olam Haba. We should all be aware, I think I made the point before, that Olamba is defined rabbinically in two different, different ways. Those who say, Rabbi Dweck is included in this, also I find this fascinating and interesting. Rabbi Dweck will also say this at many funerals, that Olamba is the world that will happen when the Mashiach comes. Chronological, sequential Olamba. Not, not there now. The Rambam says, Olamba, and I see this as well, it's part of the philosophical, spiritual understanding, is now. Moshe, Abraham, Zechariah, all the great rabbis and all the great people are not waiting in the ground till the Mashiach comes, which at least has been three or four thousand years since they died, right? They're not there now. They are in Olam Haba. What's Olam Haba? A spiritual resurrection. No problem with that. That is the Rambam's view of it, but argued by the Yad Ramad, Ra'avad, as you will see in a few moments. 
So the Rambam says the great good for the right people is Olam Haba. This is chapter 8. Right? You could open the books if you like. It's right in front of you. Is Hayom Haba. And that's Hayim, life, that is no death with it. And the great good, Tova, that has nothing negative about it, is this Olam Haba existence. And he quotes a proof text. Because the Rambam cannot philosophically prove this point, he must quote a proof text. Remember the Rambam has three categories statement statements that have to do with the mind one is he calls amanat in Arabic which is an emuna, pure believe me don't believe Mashiach believe me don't believe I can't prove it Pesukim two is dogma two, right be dogma two is a'teqad which is the Arabic word aqada which means where the smoke this fire inferential logic and three the Ram has is ilim ilim is pure knowledge absolute knowledge incontrovertible knowledge such as all bachelors are Aristotelian uh, unmarried. Sorry? Aristotelian logic? logic? Yeah. So God exists is what kind of statement? For the Rambam. Pure, 100% Oilim. No, it's knowledge. He will tell you in the beginning of Leda. You have to know as a Jew, Leda, to know. It's right, it's Oilim. It's knowledge. In the same way that every bachelor is unmarried and you're not going to find a square triangle correct? Impossible. So too, it's impossible logically for God not to exist. God's corporeality or physicality. The third chapter of this is the Shuvah, he'll tell you that is Elam. If you think God has a body, you're a heretic. Why? Because you didn't think through your issues. It was a matter of pure speculation or faith. Okay, so I believe you don't believe. Can't put me in gain out for that. No, put you in gain out if you believe God has a body. Why did he do so? Because it's pure knowledge. God cannot philosophically have a body. Impossible. Others would not be God. So it's Erlen. On the other hand, Nebuat Moshe. What is that? Is it Erlen? De'a, knowledge. Is it Amanat, pure faith, as Yimut HaMashiach is, Olam Abba is? Or is it Eitzekad, which is inferential knowledge? B. O, C. Inferential, right. I know the order. Right, it's inferential knowledge. We heard our parents told us that there was a Moshe and that God communicates with mankind, etc. It's not Erlen. can't prove that God communicates with people. But it's inferential knowledge. I got it from my grandfather. Great-grandfather. Great-great-grandfather. Right? So the Rambam here is going to speak about Olam Haba. It's, in, it's, it's emunah. Pure faith. Right? So he's going to quote... What he put on the highest scale? Ilim. Intellectual. Ilim. Knowledge. He begins with this book. With you have to know that a God exists. Study. Engage in philosophy. And you'll know it. Don't say, I don't believe. Well, you don't believe. You didn't do the work. It's like saying... I don't believe that Rabbi Avaj is next door. You don't believe. Go and check. I don't want to check. I don't believe it. And you, you may punish me for not going to see this. I don't want to go check. You punish me because you, you were lazy. You didn't go to, to see him. I mean, that's irrational. You could physically see. But when we talk about him... Uh, the other one you could intellectually power. see. Right. Yeah, intellectually see. Deduce. Exactly. So it's pure. That's rational. You go see him. Physically. Intellectual is more rational. You because can't, You can't deduce that he's there. I hear his voice. That's rational. Okay, so... Hearing is rational. So the Rambam is saying that in the same way that if you refuse to go see it because you're lazy, to go over there and check it out, so if you're intellectually lazy and you don't go through all the philosophical steps of proving God, then you're, you're held blameworthy for it. Okay. Rambam would say that. Let's say, for example, you call me up. Right? You talk to my kid. Right? So is your father home? I don't know. Go check. No. I, I, I have to talk to him. It's very important. I'm not going to find him. 
it's very critically important. I'm not going to go. So you're going to hold him responsible for not, because he's too lazy to go see if I'm in the other room. So if he went, he would know that I'm there. And if you use your mind, you would know that God exists. And if you're lazy and you don't use your mind and you don't go to see if I'm there or that God is there, then what? You pay a price for that. Because it's ilim, it's knowledge. But Olam Haba is a different category. It's pure faith. You can't prove it. Nobody's seen it. Nobody knows about it. It's not even inferential. So, he calls Pesukim. We learned in the Gemara that when that Pesuk says it in Kansipur, now you can raise the question of Dadash, but we won't worry about that right now. That Hashem is going to give you in the Kansipur case, now you can raise the question over here. Again, what question you want to raise over here? Who's still up? Why does the Ram over here use the case of Kansipur to quote this Pasuk and not Tibur which also has Arichut Yamim as its reward? And presumably it means the same thing. If you respect your parents, you get long days. Long days physically or length spiritually? The answer is spiritually. Same game on our same story. We don't worry about that question right now. There's a good reason for it. But where is that? Olam Haba. The, the rewards, the Kaskalas of the Kim Hu, she is cool. They, they will merit this great, wonderful pleasure. The Yubatavazu, they will be in this goodness. And Piraon, punishment of the evil is what? The negation. They will not have this great, wonderful joy. Rather, they will be cut off and they will die eternally. So, what is Ram denying over here? Physical punishment. There's no Gehinam. Ram saying over here, there's no Gehinam. Lack of, lack of pleasure. Right. Now, of course, if you <coughs> will take note. So, is that what he meant by. Yes, different place. That was admirable discipline on your part. <laughs> now, the Kisit Mishnah that we have in our traditional commentaries has a problem with this statement. Because Mishnah, of course, the same person as the of Kairo, Hochchan Ruch. Right? Hochchan Ruch, he writes a commentary on the Ramam. Because the Mishnah over here says, what the, what the Ramam said over here, when we says above, next chapter, chapter 5-5, it seems that the greatest punishment is that you don't enjoy what God says. It seems, She'en Shum Onish Vitzar Ahar Ahel Rasha. There's no other punishment that you bad guy. It's just negated. Well, that's the word. Let's not evaluate it yet. Simply to see if that's what he's saying. From the Ramana's point of view, he says that there's no, there's no physical torment that Amban, interestingly enough, holds that there is eternal punishment. Now, I've always had a problem with eternal punishment because if I'm sinning finitely, why should I suffer eternally? So I've, I have a question. And we always yell at Christianity who says that I'm damned forever. I don't believe in Yeshua. Why forever? Yeah, at worst, why forever? Give me a couple of years. I've I've, I've only eighty years, and okay, for eighty years. Why, why forever? Well, that's the side of the question. Also, if I was good for eighty years, why well, am I getting good forever? Exactly. Oh, no, I ask the same question. Yeah, this is an interesting question. But next, the case of Mishnah's point of view over here is questioning. She'en shum onish sal achel rasha ela karet. He gets cut off. Bilvad. And this is unlike the words of the Torah, and unlike the words of the Rabbi. So Ram over here is against the Torah. And against the words of Rabbi. Am I saying that? No. Kismishnir is saying that. Right? So get it straight, take. Honestly, Kismishnir said it. Right? Shared the feed of Rima Elo, and Orsha Dam Ela Karet. The worst punishment is Karet. Now, this is interesting because. Everybody not pray here? You want to go pray? 
That's okay. Baruch Hashem, we will continue. We will continue next week. Yeah, but... Yeah.